Welcome to Industry Insights, the EFM podcast presented by the European Film Market of the Berlinale. My name is Nadia Denton. I'm a curator and impact producer based in London. This season of Industry Insights, the EFM podcast, puts a spotlight on topical and trend-setting industry issues creating a compass for the forthcoming film season. The year-round podcast is produced in cooperation with Gotter Institute and co-funded by Creative Europe Media. Berlinale Talents, the festival's talent development initiative, has an annual summit in Berlin, a film community of almost 10,000 alumni and seven international initiatives, of which we have here with us today two representatives from Sarajevo and Beirut, a filmmaker and a former participant. Amra Bashik Karmo is an independent producer based in Bosnia, Herzegovina. Since 2003, she has been the head of CineLink, a regional co-production market at the Sarajevo Film Festival. She has been a long-time collaborator of the Berlinale co-production market and Biennale College. Amra teaches producing at the Academy of Performing Arts Sarajevo. Hania Mirue is a film programmer, distributor and industry professional based in Lebanon. She is the director of Metropolis Cinema, the only art house movie theatre in the country. In 2010, she established MC Distribution, a platform dedicated to distributing Arab and international independent titles in the MENA region. She's currently a programming consultant for the Marrakesh International Film Festival. I'm Ryan Hania, really pleased that you could join me today. Amra, what are some of the creative drivers in your practice and how has this changed as you have progressed through your career? I think at the very beginning, my main driver was to work. And I don't think that I was so picky or uh, it was almost like uh, even not invited, I would be joining to the different projects and finding myself a place. And that, of course, has changed over time. But uh, in a way, I still keep that addiction to job. Because uh, very often we discuss the job and hobbies and so on. And what I realized that most of the people in, from our industry are lacking hobbies because the job is the hobby and somehow it's combined. And, uh, you know, for me, it's still like that. Uh, the things that have changed, uh, of course, the size of the projects, the length that I do certain projects. And, of course, very recently, you know, also my role in the projects, because when you are getting older, you have to step back to give you know, uh, to younger versions of yourself and others' uh, uh, chances. So it is, in a way, it is still the job that I love. And I think that's one of the rare things that, that can give your life to different purposes, you know, besides your private life. If you are happy also in the office, then, you know, it makes a very big difference. And I think that we are the lucky ones with, uh, you know, uh, this conversation, for instance, now it's exactly the thing that our general thing is that we can meet interesting people, that we can exchange opinions, that we can, you know, travel the world in a minute. And that is very rarely the thing that people can do or do in the everyday life. So uh, for me, you know, it's still the job, the whole industry thing, even like the pettiest of the pettiest jobs within the whole production. I still do it with a kind of, uh, with passion and love. You referred to your younger self, and I'm just curious about what advice you would have given to that younger self about lessons in terms of confronting challenge and difficulty in industry as one tries to sustain a career. First of all, there is no inner circle, because one of the things that I was, uh, you know, always thinking, you know, it is like when you move step back, you will finally come to that inner circle where things will become clear. 
But this inner circle is, in a way, of the industry is kind of slippery as a as a fish. So do whatever you think it's okay, and then you will find your own circle. That is what you have at the very end, your own network. Because time passes by very quickly, and then projects that you did at the draw or you know years that you have spent on something that you didn't like, it's, it's pity. Thank you, Amra. Hania, how would you reflect on lessons uh, that you've learned and things you would have told your younger self looking at the scope of your career? It's a difficult question, but it's something that I keep thinking about because just like uh, Amra, from the beginning, the, the motivation to start what I'm doing was basically uh, the eagerness to do something, to achieve something while being on this earth. And especially when you live in this part of the world and you see how big the the needs are uh, when it comes to the film industry, for instance. And of course, when you have a a government that is almost uh, uninterested in uh, a cultural sector in general, so you feel there is a big gap between the potential, the capacity, the, the, the skills that are there, the, 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 the energy of the youth, and at the same time, uh, the lack of uh, means and infrastructure and so on. And so I think for me and my generation, when we were young, uh, we wanted to do something about it. We wanted to just create the opportunity to make things happen, despite all the difficulties, without even thinking about which way this is going to take us or what job exactly I'm going to be doing. So when I started, for instance, I studied cinema production, but I did this for a very short period of time. Very quickly, I found myself running a festival and then running an art house cinema. And as you said, Amra, I found myself at some point sitting behind the box office selling tickets or cleaning the cinema. It doesn't matter. What matters is to continue this passion and to continue and not to forget why we started this in the first place. I'm sure this is what you also mean, Amra, when you say it's a job, it's not necessarily the pay that you get at the end of the month, but it's just the process. It's just being part of something important that is happening. So in that sense, I think I was uh, lucky, even though I was born in a very, very difficult country, but I was lucky to have this drive, especially when I look at the youth today and I I I feel that sometimes they lack this drive, this motivation. The only thing that I would say to myself is that don't worry, things will be okay. (laughs) That's really encouraging. And where is the drive taking you? So when you look at your vision of what's ahead or even, you know, when you reflect on when you started out and you just wanted to create and you wanted to achieve, what in your mind was the end point if there was one? that, you know, we we're also asked, like when you write proposals and you ask for funding, you're you're asked always to write the the vision. What is the ideal world you would like to be to see yourself living in if you achieve this project and whatever? So this exercise was always difficult and still is because the world is changing so quickly. Because the the, the goals that you set. At one point, halfway through, you realize that um, maybe that's not exactly the direction that I want to take and you change. And this capacity to change, I think, is is a blessing somehow, um, because I think we're lucky not to be working in financial institution where the goal is clear. You have to make money, you have to make, uh, you know, income growth, etc. When you're not obsessed with one goal and you can just go with the flow. Uh, look at what's happening around you, stay connected to the community around you, to the needs, to where the world is going, how it's changing, 
and adapt to these change, changes uh, without losing the purpose, with always remembering that what we need is at the end of the day for this world to be a little bit more fair and to allow for diversity to exist, for to allow for each one of us to have a place, to allow each one to have a different way of thinking and perceiving things. That's, I think, the only goal or vision that uh, did not change along the way. And Hania, you referred to the difficulties of, you know, the location that you're in. How have you been able to overcome the challenges that come from these external factors, uh, you know, in the environment, such as political uprisings and, you know, government oppression? How have you built resilience and emotionally been able to keep yourself intact or even not? Yeah. Of course. I mean, Lebanon has had a big share of uh, problems since 2019, starting with the uh, appraisal, but then the economic and very, very harsh financial crisis, COVID, of course, then the explosion on August 4th, which de- destroyed half of the city of Beirut, and recently a series of earthquakes, unfortunately. So you name it. This has been a particularly difficult period, although I have to say that when you live in this part of the world, you know that you don't live in, in a stable environment and you know that political turmoil and problems are always there in the background. So it's something that you get used to and you learn very quickly to adapt to. But these past four years were extremely harsh on so many levels. And I think people also refer to us as resilient We don't like this word because we feel that in the word resilience, there's a lot of acceptance of what is happening. In fact, it's not the case at all. Nobody's accepting. There's a lot of anger inside of us. And this anger drives us to constantly resist the statu quo, resist the challenges and the difficulties. And But without being rigid in this resistance, but try to be as much as possible flexible again and to learn to survive. And when I say survive, I don't mean um, with the basic needs, but I think surviving means keeping this capacity to dream of a better world, of a better place for all of us, and uh, uh, also to keep the hope that this change is possible and we can make it happen. If not now, in years, it doesn't matter when. And honestly, um, to keep this hope alive, I think it's very important to connect to what is happening around us, not only to the community, but also look at the other countries. Iran, for instance, is a very inspiring uh, example of how the youth is constantly challenging uh, uh, the the system in a very uh, brave and uh, uh, creative way. So yes, connecting to to what is happening uh, around us helps us keep this drive and this uh, kind of uh, optimism. Amra, I'm also wanting to bring you in at this point to reflect on your journey, which I know started not too many years after the war in Bosnia. And so um, what role has resilience played in your own trajectory in terms of building your career? You know, talking about Lebanon or Bosnia, you know, it is, uh, you know, that's complicated countries, you know, and kind of uh, this kind of sustainable chaos that is keep managing to survive for many years. And on the other hand, you have this need to do it nevertheless. And I think that is extremely important on one hand, and it is uh, the drive doesn't change. It stays always there, as Hania was saying. It is there, and you want to do it nevertheless. Uh, at the beginning, uh, I was hoping that I'm 
that the change will come, you know, very soon. And then, uh, you know, somehow in the last 20, 25 years, uh, too many times I felt that, aha, you know, here it is. And then, you know, everything was taken away. So, but the, the funny thing, and the, I noticed that also in what Hanya was saying, so I am not really sure, is it because we are women or it is also, I don't know, but I think it's also a bit, you know, uh, a female thing. I still didn't uh, lose my optimism. Maybe it's a little bit less, uh, you know, it's a little, little, little bit uh, less, uh, you know, we, I, I don't expect things to happen tomorrow, but I really do still think and hope that what we do, not only so from the point of view of the, you know, culture or filmmaking or industry or whatever, but also from the society, it's extremely important, especially in the society that we are coming in. It is not my uh, wish to make a mark. It's just, you know, when you turn back, you know, uh, what shines. So I think that's one of the main aspects of me doing this. And also uh, I teach. So, you know, working with younger kids and working with students, you know, uh, I can still, I can see that some things have changed and I can see that nevertheless, that the society is you know, in this kind of perpetual turmoil. I can see that things have changed for my students and that there are certain things, maybe not in a structure, maybe not in a kind of systematic way, but uh, in a way that they will do their job is going to be different than the way that I did my job. So I think that at least on that level, it's also something that's a kind of result of what we do. Not myself personally, but all of my colleagues that are working in the film industry in Bosnia. For instance, it was very different for me when I started because it was not so usual to be a, a producer, woman producer in uh, in Balkan. And, you know, my position on the set and everything, it was, and also in the society, in a certain way, it's, you know, people observed me trying to be who I am. It was kind of at the best, seen as something very charming, like, ah, look at her, she wants to do it. Now nobody thinks that anymore. Not just about me, but me not being charming, but now it's completely normal that, you know, half of my students are, you know, girls and they are going to be, you know, they are going to kick ass when they start using. <laughs> so, you know, and some of them already do. So, and nobody is surprised. So I think this is the, you know, this is the change. It is definitely something that it is not going to go backwards they will be able to fight. Yes, they are different. They fight in a different way and they will not use the same channels of, uh, you know, to fight. Because yes, we have been all over, you know, fighting with the governments, changing, you know, finding our position because it's a different generation. I'm sure that they will find their own voice and do it in their own way. And that way is going to open the door for the next generation as well. Hania, I wondered what your own reflections were on what Amra has said, thinking about the fact that you all similarly work with young people. And also, you know, has gender at any point been a barrier or even a force for change in your film career? Yes, I totally agree and uh, identify with what Amra said. And uh, that's why I was smiling because it's reminded me so much of when I started in this film industry, it was seen as a cute uh, girl who wants to do work in film industry. Good luck. That's very nice. But today I can say about Lebanon that the film industry here is led by women mainly. Like if you look at the producers, programmers, filmmakers, uh, even people working in uh, the different jobs as, uh, as sound recorders, DOPs, etc., it's a majority of women. So I think this is changing not only society, but it's changing the way that the, this youth is portraying 
our society. It changes the gaze that the coming generation is going to look at our present day today because those films are made by women. So I think that, that in that sense, yes, there is a very positive change that happened that is, I hope, irreversible. But at the same time, I can see that this generation faces also a world that is, we have to say, like uh, marked by adversity, I would say. So it is, it's still a very challenging world on so many levels. And I think that they're going to have their own battles. The only thing we can do is empower not only women, but empower the youth in general, at least by making them believe that change is possible. Hania, that point takes me very nicely onto the topic of sustainable leadership. So certainly from what you said about this emergence of female voices um, as a force in the industry in uh, Lebanon, um, you know, is, is now a new trend. I wanted to find out your thoughts on the subject of sustainable leadership. So by sustainable leadership, I mean a new radical approach to the film industry where environmentalism, equity and well-being is seen as integral. Um, and clearly this has been discussed with much seriousness, um, not just at the Berlinale, but, you know, wider um, platforms. What are your thoughts about this and what does sustainable leadership mean to you? Yes, I think that it's not anymore an option for us, this sustainable leadership, because I think the old model has proven to be not efficient anymore. It's not working. I think the idea of a leader has changed completely. I think we realized uh, uh, that uh, no one is irreplaceable and that the only way forward, the only way to continue is to continue together, is to continue in solidarity with our colleagues, with, our, with the people surrounding us, with similar initiatives across the world. But I think the only way forward is to think as a, as a world, as an entity and not as a, as a business. So I think this is the, the most important shift. And this is where why I mentioned earlier that, thank God, we are not obsessed with growth. I think we are obsessed with equity uh, today. And this is, I think, uh, a very healthy way to try to find solutions because the world is changing and the challenges are multiple. And I don't think anybody has an answer on how to continue and how to surf in this changing world. But at least we know that we have some values that will protect us and that will ensure maybe a safer place to go to and this idea of sustainable leadership and equity is essential. I think it's an essential value to to keep in mind all the time. Amr, do you believe that the... Yeah, but I think I, I completely believe it and it's extremely important. I think in a certain way, us coming from the societies that we are talking about, our responsibility was always not only to ourselves and to our own goals, but was always also responsibility towards the society. It was impossible to observe our, but we cannot be only entrepreneurs. And because of that, in a certain way, you are put in a position to play a role in a society in a different way. And, you know, so I would say in a, in a kind of very strange uh, way that sustainable leadership, it was always, I didn't even know what, what it is, but I, I, it was always in a way one of the things that I aspire to. 
you know, I would say maybe the green aspect of it is something that I was not maybe aware and it was uh, observed in the end of 90s, beginning of 2000 in a different way. But, but I think the other aspects and the, the, this responsibility for the, for the others and the part, to be part of the group, to be responsible for the group, to, you know, it is so important. And in, especially in the job that we do, because we are talking about collective creative process, it's kind of, you know, it's almost essential. And I would say that we will find a beautiful examples of probably if we go, if we dig deeper and we go more outside of the center, more outside of the power, you know, structures, we will find much better examples of sustainable leadership than what we are, than what we are discussing now when we are talking the, the central powers, the strong, you know, the strong ones, because it is different. You know, because when the structure is vertical and when the structure doesn't exist and everything is horizontal, the, the ones that shine, uh, it's usually the one that is does it by naturally, not even knowing what you have to do, but that's the only answer. So I think that in terms of sustainable leadership, that we should learn uh, from people living in the outskirts. We should, you know, because that's, that's where you find real sustainable leaders. And I would like to be in a position to learn from more of them. Thank you. Hania, what changes do you hope to see in the international film industry that might be beneficial to your career? How can we in the international film community support your career or the more general structural circumstances that you find yourself in in Lebanon? To be honest with you, I never thought of my work as a career and I still cannot do so. I like to follow a little bit uh, my heart, but also trust how coincidence uh, take me from one place to another. I think what I hope for is for this film industry is to become maybe more human and less of an industry, more of human connection and human relationship that we shouldn't forget this. Because when we talk about industry, we're talking about markets, we're talking about businesses, we're talking about money. And this prevails uh, sometimes just for the sake of survival. But I think that if we find a way to still exist altogether, but at the same time focus on the connection that links us together, that makes us stronger, think of how we can have more solidarity, uh, more togetherness in the future, uh, this, I think, is what I hope for, regardless of how this will affect or not my career. Because honestly, I don't care about uh, about careers. I think it's important to be happy with what you're doing, regardless of what it is. Yeah, and that's a really liberating thought, you know, to consider our careers just as what we're doing and not to have to think about it in the sort of functional, structural way. Amra... How can we become more human as an industry? Oh, I don't know. Hopefully we can start thinking more about the others, less about ourselves. There is one uh, very strange and probably controversial aspect of our job because we are always project driven, meaning we are always, there is always something that presides, like I need to finish this one. And uh, because of that, we are kind of losing the, 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 the 360 or even 180. Uh, because there is this one line that guides us and this, I just finished this one and then this one and then this one. And of course, there is always something that is more important. And I think to find this equilibrium in a way that to find this balance in between, it will bring us much closer to the fact that we will respect then also the, you know, being better humans while we do it. 
And it is not like making uh, making bad cinema while we are good people. Uh, I will just finding the balance in how we do it. Uh, I think it's about personal responsibility, as a matter of fact. So much of it, so much of this, is about personal responsibility. The global power balance is shifting with regions such as the United Arab Emirates and China emerging as new film powers. What do you feel that the Western film industry structure and canon, so when I'm thinking specifically uh, North America and Western Europe, have to learn from the film cultures of your country of origin? Yes, there is an emerging film industry in this part of the world and maybe more than the Emirates, it's the uh, Saudi Arabia uh, opening up after years of banning cinema. Now there's a boom. There are cinemas opening up, there's cinema production, there are big events taking place. Honestly, this is we can look at it as an opportunity because it's a new market. But we can also, again, look at it as a chance to meet the Saudi uh, filmmakers, uh, to discover this very rich society and uh, history, and to connect with this part of the world, which is a part of the Arab world that was completely cut from the rest of the region. Uh, so for me, this is very exciting times. It's still too early to say how this industry is going to uh, develop. I know that these two countries specifically, the industry is driven by not only, but mainly by governmental support and a lot of money, a lot of means. So if the West needs to learn, I think there are other examples in smaller countries with much less means where nevertheless, despite everything, there are incredibly creative people making it. And really, I have to go back to Iran. I have to look at this country. And Amra, what about uh, the perspective from Bosnia? What does the Western film canon have to learn from the Balkan region? How I don't know. I'd say, I, I'm saying there are many lessons that were not learned. Also, you know, from the point of view of a political turmoil or what happened to us in the 90s and so on, on a kind of very general uh, question, because you know, it was always, it doesn't happen, this will not happen to us. And when you say that, you should know that it always does. I'm very sorry to say so. But on the other hand, also, I would say that we should learn from each other, not expect others to behave like we do. It goes both ways. So it is, you know, we should not copy, you know, if we are talking about United Arab Emirates, China, or we are talking about smaller territories like cinema in whatever Myanmar, uh, or, you know, Bosnia. We should find that, you know, it is, it is important to keep this authenticity of each culture. What would you say as film practitioners are the sources of hope that we can hold on to as individuals um, and, you know, um, persons, part of a community that holds, you know, the, the, the visual uh, big screen experience uh, so dear? No, no, I, I, I wanted to say it's so difficult because at this particular moment, because it is so recent that we have seen so many injuries from Ukraine and now from Syria and uh, Turkey that are, you know, overtaking. You have a feeling that the reality is overtaking everything that can be done through art. Uh, it's so devastating. But, you know, the art has one particular, you know, catharsis aspect. So what we can all hold, you know, hold that we will be able to offer some kind of a catharsis to the world that is now in a 
you know, Ash, let's say, or, you know, we can talk about, is it the crisis? Is it the ongoing crisis? But uh, I think this catharsic element of art that has been imminent from the beginning is something that we shouldn't ever forget. Yeah, I will add something that uh, when looking at the earthquake that happened in Syria and Turkey, and you see the kind of response and support that those countries got after the earthquake and the imbalance in the way the world responded to this natural catastrophe between two countries because of political considerations. This is what's really heartbreaking because national catastrophe happens, but when the support you give to people in distress is conditional to certain political uh, considerations, uh, this is where I feel that our humanity is deeply affected. And uh, I think that we are in a world that is becoming more and more polarized and where we are constantly asked to be to position ourselves with or against. And I personally refuse this uh, uh, positioning and I think this reduces uh, so much the complexity of the situation on one hand, but also our uh, human nature when we have to decide if we are with the people in this specific country or against it, I think it's important to be able to see beyond that and to see how we can save each other as human beings. That's wonderful, Hania, and a very apt note for us to end this conversation on. So grateful for the considerations and uh, thoughts that uh, you shared with us today, Amra, Hania, wishing you the very best uh, with your endeavours. And uh, yeah, let's all collectively hold the faith. Thank you very much, Nadia. And thank you. We are now joined by Sadaf Farogi, who was unable to join us in the first part of the conversation. Iranian-Canadian filmmaker Sadaf Farogi began her career in 2003, writing and directing short films and documentaries and creating video art pieces exhibited and screened at various film festivals worldwide. Sadaf has also served as a juror for various festivals and awards, including the Academy of Canadian Cinema and Television's Annual Awards, and most recently, the Tbilisi International Film Festival in Georgia. So Sadaf, tell me, what are some of the creative drivers in your creative practice and how has this changed as you have progressed through your career? Um, actually, I think it's a very organic system. Um, I do not have any um, intellectual answer for this, and I'm sure you understand it because it, um, the, you know, the... The idea, it could come from a, a smell, um, from a painting, from a note, from a music, uh, from the weather, etc. And it has been always the same for me. Although I had some films that was very important, um, like um, children, because um, I think they make the next generations. Uh, the mother, of course, women. Um, because I think the actually I have been grown up in a, with my single mother, and it was very important um, to to see how um, she she challenges to be herself as a woman, as a mother, as a university student, as a you know some she finding work etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, 
it's it it remains the same women and next generation of course but it becomes more and more um personal as i grow up more if you, i can say uh, in this you know in this art in cinema thank you and on that note about um women and i suppose gender do you think that there is uh something in particular that uh, we women have to bring in terms of uh, leadership or our interventions in the film industry. Um, Amra and Hania spoke uh, quite eloquently about the fact that they've seen a, a gender shift in their time in the industry where there's a lot more women now getting involved for producers who are really kind of being at the foreground um, of respective industries uh, for Amra in Bosnia and for Hania in Lebanon. So I wondered what your own view was about really the position of women in terms of leadership. And I suppose I asked this in the context of the current uprising um, in Iran. Mm -hmm. As you may know that we have uh, some directors in Iran, women directors. We have a lot, of course, but we can see some women directors. Very little producer in Iran. But in general, since I used to live also in Canada, we can see more and more women in the industry. Of course, we we have to. Um, but um, is it? Do you feel that concretely, we give this chance to women to be equal to men? I'm not sure. I think that in different aspects we have. Well, in general, women has the almost the same situation that people in Calder had. 150 years ago, they are still challenging for their rights and we are still challenging. So we are very far from the, you know, the place that we should be. We have to fight for that. But I think we need to have 50% in in festivals, for example, 50% women, 50% men. We are not better than men. We are not worse than them. I feel that there is still a lot to do concretely. Um, words are beautiful. We use them a lot, but we need um, to action. Thank you. How have you been able to overcome the challenges that come from external factors in your environment? So whether it be war, political uprisings or government oppression, how do you keep the hope alive as a filmmaker? Um, you know that the percentage of having the direct um, confrontation with 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 um, politic or with um, these problems in in such a country like mine is is very high, and um, I had um, lots of problems. Um, you know, for myself, when we say lots, I'm sure that there are people in prison now. We have 19,000 young people now in prison. Um, but I had um, uh, I had lots of problems to find myself as a woman minority <laughs> in Iran, um, in the industry. Um, not uh, when I made my um, short films, because when you made short films, you don't directly um in you know like i don't want to use attack but just um you know giggling power but when you start making features maybe you have bigger audience and then the the problems and the limitations um 
emerge. Uh, from my first feature, of, uh, I had problems to have the permission, although the, the, the story was not, um, it stayed in, uh, not how I can say, um, it was about women's situation, I can say. And uh, nobody wants to hear about women's situation in Iran. Um, they said that I'm showing black side of the country. And um, with difficulties, um, I made my first feature and then my second feature after the production of the film, actually the shooting. I have been arrested along with my uh, friend, um, colleague who edited the film. Um, I never knew how an, a, a dailies without being edited could be a, a, an object of um, um, censorship. The film did, didn't have a chance to be uh, edited. And it took three years for me every day to go and see the authorities, all men, and try to be myself, keeping hope, as you said, and dignity. And just say, I want my film. This is mine. I want it. And finally, after three years, um, I had it. I don't lose hope, but I feel that, unfortunately, maybe such filmmakers like me, very independent, not having any money from the government, we make our films in ordeal situation. And it's really, um, we should try hard to keep our hope up but we do our best. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly in all that you said, you know, what comes to mind is resilience. So, you know, people may look at individuals, you know, such as yourself and countries like Iran and say, oh, those people are so resilient. But, you know, do you think that that at times can create a complacency where this is, there's this acceptance because, oh, well, it's just about enduring the difficult conditions? Just I give you an example. Very shortly, we experience all together um, the, the problem of internet that we have. So I used to it. I used to be patient. And of course, I do yoga and meditation beside. And um, there is no other way um, to continue. Um, mm, continue with having a you know the how we say head up say I, I i'm a woman i'm not going to you know you're not going to give me offer me anything i want the things i want you know the basic things that rights that i want and i will have it in one way or another um i could actually um for six months i couldn't leave the house I have been arrested, interrogated, um, and uh, they gave me the, uh, the, the, the how, chance to leave the country. And I didn't because I didn't do anything. I wanted to stay and, um, and have my film back. Some, you know that when uh, we work on a film for two or three years, especially when we are independent, we work on the script, we try to find a producer financing, etc. And suddenly I, I, I lost everything. And I didn't want, uh, I never wanted to let them do that to me. So I think this is not only me, you see that people, women, they lost their eyes for freedom. Yeah, this is the way it is now, but we should continue with yeah. hope.
I understand. And how can we in the international film community support you in your career um, in terms of these structural circumstances that you find yourself in? Mm-hmm. Um, if I may, generally speaking, I can say that little by little, uh, we are losing a di- artistic diversity in cinema. We don't see much Jarmusch because Jim Jarmusch is as beautiful as Spielberg's and other films. Um, this is the chance we give all to ourselves to be creative, to think differently, because we all the time speaking about diversity and how much it is important for a society. But we have less in cinema. This has different aspects. When I cannot um, continue working as Sadaf, as myself, independent art house, Uh, films, etc., and express what I feel in life, little by little, I change myself to a colleague that has more success in terms, not financially, but to be able to continue, right? I'm not doing that uh, because of the resilience that we talked, but um, giving a chance to the art house films Uh, find some places to showcase them. I think uh, finding the producer is difficult. Uh, I'm Iranian. The subject um, maybe uh, is not easy to make in Iran. So giving the chance to make the films that are important outside Iran. And also, I think it's important that the festival accepts to show the films about Iran, which has been shot outside because the story is important. Wonderful. I share your sentiments completely. And um, I feel that it touches nicely on a point that uh, Hania made about the industry uh, just being a bit more human, creating more Mm -hmm. space for uh, humanity, Mm -hmm. if you like. Absolutely. I think um, what is important is giving a face to the person uh, who texts you, who email you, which that you forgot that. Um, I understand that um, maybe the projects, uh, maybe the company cannot accept all the projects, but as you, you said, this human um, relationship that we're missing a lot. And we used to go to the company personally and give, give them the script, you know, this, touching feeling maybe we should rethink about it and i i'm sure that we could have a better life a better world if we we think about a face that is behind this text this script this film Mm -hmm. wonderful very beautiful thank you so much thank you so that brings the conversation piece to an end um even though it was brief and it would have been lovely to have continued longer I'm very grateful that we were able to connect um, and work it out. Thank you so much for giving me this chance. This season of Industry Insights has been produced in cooperation with the Gotter Institute and co-funded by Creative Europe Media. This episode has been developed in collaboration with Bernale Talents. Please do tune in to future episodes of Industry Insights. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and on the website of the European Film Market, www efm-berlinale.de. Thanks for tuning in. Take care and goodbye.